Welcome to the International Trade Minute, quick fire trade news where time is trade. We are your go-to podcast for rapid and concise updates on trade and law, designed specifically for busy trade professionals. Sponsored by Rydell Law Firm and prepared by seasoned trade attorneys, our twice-weekly podcast packages your essential trade updates, all in the time it takes to enjoy your coffee break. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and join the conversation with a network of like-minded professionals on LinkedIn. Where time is trade, make every minute count. In today's episode, we'll breeze through the hottest headlines making waves in the world of global trade. From tightened shipping regulations to tariff tiffs, it's all here and it's all now. Let's get started. We go straight to the recent major shift in export control regulations. Non-vessel operating common carriers, or NVOs, and forwarders are now on the radar as the U.S. tightens its shipping security. The U.S. Department of Commerce has stated that these transportation providers could be slapped with hefty fines or even face criminal charges if they don't flag customers exporting illegal components, especially to countries like Russia and China. This is not just a wake-up call for electronics manufacturers anymore. Express carriers and forwarders need to be in the know. And here's the tricky part. Co-loaders who handle multiple shipments in a single container need to understand each of their customers thoroughly. It's clear that the political temperatures between Western countries, Russia and China, are rising. Even Chinese-manufactured cranes are under the microscope, as reported by the Wall Street Journal. And speaking of scrutiny, the Shanghai Shipping Exchange, founded in 1996 by Shanghai officials and China's Ministry of Transport, is also under watch. Changes proposed to ocean shipping reforms may require an auditor from the U.S. Department of Transportation to gauge potential Chinese government influence on the exchange. But back to our forwarders and NVOs. What's the real risk? The Bureau of Industry and Security, BIS for short, within the Commerce Department, can issue civil penalties. Hold on to your hats, folks. That's up to $300,000 per violation or double the transaction's value, whichever hits harder. And if that doesn't sting enough, Criminal penalties can be even more severe with up to 20 years in prison or fines reaching $1 million per violation. Thankfully, there's help on the horizon. The National Customs Brokers Association of America has announced that the Commerce Department will soon roll out additional guidance. This will aid NVOs and forwarders in detecting potential illegal exports. Moreover, in an interesting twist, the policy clarification from BIS is nudging NVOs and forwarders to keep an eye on their competitors. If they spot any fishy business, they're encouraged to report it. And for those with a sharp eye, there's a potential reward. Whistleblowers could get monetary rewards from the Justice and Treasury Departments if their tip-offs lead to prosecution. It's a rapidly evolving landscape, with everyone in the supply chain now playing a part in ensuring security and legality. Next, there are some significant changes on the horizon for foreign investment in the U.S. Let's break it down. First up, those engaged in foreign investments might want to be on their toes. Paul Rosen, the head of the Treasury Department's Office of Investment and Security, dropped some bombshells during the recent annual CFI use conference in Washington. The headline, more penalties and stricter on-site compliance checks are on the horizon. In fact, CFIUS has already issued two civil monetary penalties this year. To put that into perspective, that's the same number they've issued since they were established in 1975. Rosen hinted that this number might grow even further before 2024 ends, and it seems like they're not just focusing on penalties, 
but also enhancing their monitoring game. CFI uses stepping up its on-site visits, looking closely at compliance with mitigation agreements. Rosen mentioned that some companies might have felt this increased scrutiny over the last six months. We're talking about everything from in-depth interviews, even with line-level staff, to surprise checks on records. It's also intriguing that when CFI US isn't doing these checks themselves, they're relying heavily on third-party monitors and auditors. They've recently sharpened their use of third-party providers, expanding the number of firms they work with. The message is clear. These third parties need to align with CFIUS's stringent standards, or they'll be replaced. Now, Paul Rosen also hinted at some major regulatory shakeups. The last major update was the Foreign Investment Risk Review Modernization Act of 2018. Now, Rosen's office is gearing up to propose changes to enhance efficiency, update penalty and enforcement authorities, and sharpen tools in the non-notified space. In essence, refining the existing regulations for the modern landscape. It's a whirlwind of changes, and companies involved in foreign investments will need to stay informed and adaptive. It's a pivotal moment for foreign investment in the U.S. Up next, a heated debate on Capitol Hill. Reports are circulating that if a returned President Donald Trump were to impose a global 10% tariff by executive order, there could be bipartisan resistance. Leaders from both parties, including Reverend Adrian Smith and Senator Chuck Grassley, have voiced concerns. Senator Chuck Grassley, in a recent call with International Trade Today, harked back to the 1930 Smoot-Hawley Act. For those unfamiliar, this act increased tariffs, pushing the world into recession and playing a part in the rise of Hitler in World War II. Grassley emphasized the significance of agriculture in this conversation. Before the Smoot-Hawley Tariff Act, Tariffs on products like sugar, textiles, and dishes were sky-high, often above 50%. Post-Smoot-Hawley, those tariffs rose even further. As what Senator Grassley said, particularly in agriculture, you try to reduce tariffs. I want free trade agreements. I want to reduce tariffs, not increase tariffs. The senator is concerned about retaliatory measures, especially in sectors like agriculture, which largely depend on exports. He stressed that past tariff hikes had hurt farmers. Meanwhile, Reverend Don Beyer calls the idea of a 10% global tariff economically disastrous, suggesting it would trigger inflation and make goods 10% pricier. Reverend Beyer also added that this move would jeopardize America's leadership position in global economics. According to Rep. Don Beyer, we have done a really wonderful job over the last 60 years of lifting up economically billions of people across the planet, and this would reverse all that. But not just Democrats. Rep. Earl Blumenauer, the top Democrat on the House Ways and Means Trade Subcommittee, thinks Congress would likely intervene. He, however, expressed skepticism about Trump being reelected. What's the motivation behind this tariff proposal? Reports suggest it's not just about protectionism. There's chatter about using the revenue from these tariffs to offset income tax cuts. Only time will tell how this unfolds. But one thing is clear. The conversation about tariffs is far from over. We continue by looking into a high-stakes trade intrigue that sounds like it's straight out of a spy novel. The U.S. Justice Department just unsealed an indictment against Maxim Marchenko, a Russian citizen residing in Hong Kong. He's accused of leading a covert operation to illegally procure dual-use military-grade microelectronics from the U.S. And guess what? These aren't just any electronics. We're talking about OLED micro-displays which have applications in weapon systems like rifle scopes, night vision goggles, and thermal optics. 
Marchenko and his co-conspirators allegedly employed a web of shell companies out of Hong Kong to disguise their true intent. They fed U.S. companies stories that these products were intended for benign uses like electron microscopes and medical research. One of those covers even had a Russian national posing as Amy Chan, a fake purchase manager for Alice Components, a Hong Kong shell company. Meanwhile, in reality, they worked for Infotechnica, an electronics firm based out of Russia. And these operations weren't small change. Between May 2022 and August 2023, these shell companies moved over $1.6 million to the U.S. to acquire these micro displays. But here's where the plot thickens. The U.S. suspecting foul play got crafty. An undercover FBI agent posed as a salesperson for a micro display company lured in Marchenko and tracked over $1.3 million in wire transfers for these illegal exports. So what's on the line for Marchenko? Well, if found guilty, he's looking at some serious time. We're talking up to five years for conspiracy to defraud and smuggle, 10 years for smuggling, and a whopping 20 years each for charges like money laundering and wire fraud. This case underscores the lengths nations may go to procure sensitive technology and the lengths the U.S. will go to protect its industries and national security. For businesses, it's a stark reminder of the complexities and potential risks of international trade. Now, a new directive that'll impact manufacturers and importers alike. Coin batteries, or as some of you might know them, button cell batteries, are under the spotlight. Here's the latest. Just a few days ago, on September 21st, the Consumer Product Safety Commission, or CPSC for short, unveiled a new mandatory safety standard for these batteries and the products that house them. But there's a twist. Instead of creating a brand new guideline from scratch, they're simply adopting an existing voluntary industry standard known as ANSI-UL, 4,200A. The story behind this move is interesting. If you recall, Reese's law was enacted by Congress in August 2022, directing CPSC to either adopt an existing voluntary standard or craft a new one. Back in February, there was no voluntary standard meeting Reese's law's criteria, but the August version of ANSI-UL 4200A seems to fit the bill. Now, for all of you, manufacturers, importers, and traders listening, here's what you need to know. This direct final rule kicks in on October 23rd, unless CPSC receives any opposition by October 5th. And if it does become the standard, products designed for children that fall under this rule will need third-party testing and certification starting December 20th. However, the CPSC, acknowledging the challenges of widespread testing, will grant products with these batteries a grace period until March 19th, 2024. After which, compliance with the new standard is non-negotiable, and it doesn't end there. There were a few minor discrepancies in terms of warning labels and packaging requirements between the voluntary standard and Reese's law. For those nuances, the CPSC published a separate rule in the Federal Register on September 21st. Compliance for that specific rule will be required for products manufactured or imported after September 21st, 2024. It's a clear message from the regulators. Safety first, especially when it comes to these tiny but ubiquitous components. Manufacturers, importers, and retailers will need to adjust, and we'll be right here to keep you updated on any developments. Last but not the least, a recent decision from the Court of International Trade on decorative plant parts. Let's dive in. The Court of International Trade made its ruling on September 21st in a classification dispute involving eight categories of decorative plant parts. In the clash between importer second nature designs and the U.S. government, the court sided with both, sometimes in favor of the importer, other times the government. 
Let me break down for you what are these categories in quick bites. Category 1 includes foliage and branches without flower buds or grasses, dyed and sometimes with glitter. The importer advocated for the harmonized tariff schedule, subheading 06049030. The government proposed a similar subheading but emphasized these products are dried or bleached. Judge Katzman agreed with Second Nature, noting that the only concern was whether the item had been dried. Category 3. Tackled Calamus genus plant strips, dyed and or glittered and shaped into decorative curls. The court sided with Second Nature once more, stating that the government's interpretation of the heading was too broad. Category 6 consisted of handmade items using metal wire, tape, or glue to craft shapes resembling flowers or fruit from dried plant materials. Here, the court sided with the U.S., noting artificial flowers don't need to be made entirely of non-natural materials. So, what's left? Categories 4, 5, and 7 have advanced to a second phase of litigation. For these categories, the court identified genuine issues of material fact that need to be resolved, meaning further discovery is on the horizon. Tariffs and classifications can sure get complex, especially when it comes to decorative plant parts. But, in total, these eight categories account for a whopping 125 different product styles, making it a crucial case for importers and the government alike. Thank you for joining us on International Trade Minute, your rapid source of trade updates for busy trade professionals. And we hope to have you back for our next episode. Don't forget to subscribe.